you would take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 as we begin a new fall series entitled Abraham, A Journey of Faith. We will be in Genesis chapter 12 and beyond looking at the courageous step of faith and the winding road of obedience that we see in God's Word in Abraham and Sarah's life. Genesis chapter 12, it was the first pastorate that I served the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We, Deacon and myself, were in the car driving to Providence Hospital in Mobile, where one of our church members was. And we, we had a conversation where we went back and forth in regard to how much faith is too much faith. I mean, can, can you uh, jump off in faith and faith not be faith, but rather foolishness? It's an important conversation to have, and a wise deacon, someone who I have tremendous respect for, was talking about how faith needs to be balanced with just good common sense, good judgment, moderation in everything. Don't take anything too far, lest you be out of line, too radical. And I'm going to tell you, that kind of sentiment, I want to amen it. That, that kind of sentiment in, in my flesh and in my spirit, I wish that it was true. I, I, I want to live by that principle because it's, it's a real convenient principle. It is a very comfortable principle. As long as God calls us to something that is convenient and comfortable, we will step out in faith. But here's the problem. Do you know there's a problem to that sentiment? Even though it might be appealing to all of us, the problem is in a, a word, it's the Bible. I mean, that's the problem. Because the Bible is just full of faith-stretching, common-sense-destroying, 10- and 20-year plan, removing kind of stories. From, from Jonah being called by God to go to Nineveh to, to preach to the very enemies of the Israelites, to the disciples coming behind Jesus and, and being said to Jesus, leave behind your nets and come and become fishers of men. All of us are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And oftentimes that journey of faith costs us convenience, and it cost our comfort. In Genesis chapter 12, as we begin the story of this great, amazing journey of faith, we read this faith-stretching story. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house in the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his, took his wife Sarah and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place as Shechem to the oak of Moriah, 
At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, if you were a good friend of Abram, and he came to you and he said, God has called me to leave my country and my kindred and my father's house to go to the land that he has promised to show me. I would imagine all of us in this room would have said something like this. Well, hold on, Abram. Don't, don't get the cart before the horse. You don't want to jump off if you don't have a place to land. Where's the balance, Abram? Where's the common sense? And we'd have been wrong. You see, the call given to Abram is a direct call. You, you notice right here in Genesis chapter 1, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, that there are no disclaimers to this. There are no nuances. There's no footnoting to the call that is very clear. Go from your country. Now, it's important for us to pause for just a second to get our bearings, lest we mistakenly think that the story of Abram and Sarah begins in Genesis chapter 12. Well, it doesn't. It begins just in the previous chapter in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11 where we have what is oftentimes a very skippable, scannable genealogy that oftentimes we don't pause to begin to ponder what's going on in this. Well, there's a lot that helps us flesh out just how faith-stretching this call was. Read with me in verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor, they took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So looking at Genesis chapter 11 in these four verses here, we can be able to flesh out a a litany of facts that help you understand just how faith-stretching this call was for Abram and for his family. Ur was their hometown. Abram was born in Ur. His brother Haran is born in Ur. His, Haran is the father of Lot, which is going to come into play later on in the story here. Uh, he leaves, loses a brother. Abraham does. Haran in Ur. He dies. Abraham marries in Ur. They grieve. The hopes of couples, especially in that ancient Near Eastern culture, were to have children. The first indication that we have, the first time that the spotlight shines upon Sarah, we we have this double fact that not only does she not have children, but that she is barren. In this world, that would have been grounds for divorce in some cases, It was certainly a curse upon that person. It felt as if there was nothing more socially alienating in that culture, in that moment, than this fact that will ground their reality. And so God says to Abram, leave your country, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I am going to show you. Now, I want you to see Genesis chapter 11, because this is not a high school graduate who's kind of freshly minted, who says, you know something, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do in life. I don't know where I want to go to college. Can I have a gap year and go bike Europe for a year or something? This isn't what Abram is doing. I mean, he's mature. He's a family man. 
establish, connections, work, all of this he's leaving behind based upon God's clear call to him. Now notice that even in that call that we hear in Genesis chapter 11, as he leaves Ur and he has this detour to Haran, it discovers here. And then we have Genesis chapter 12 trying to get the chronology correct here. It seems as if Genesis 12 verse 1 is chronologically before Genesis 11 verse 27. But what is clear While the chronology is we're trying to work it out, what is clear is that Ur is Abram's safety net. That Ur is his family connections, his work connections, his country, and the repetition of verse 1, his country, his kindred, his father's house. He is leaving the familiar, and it is easy to lose the cost of what Abram and Sarah did in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, because we often leave our Ur. Now, when you think about Ur in the sense of your hometown, there are many of you in this room that know what it's like to just leave your hometown. It very well may be that there's some of you that have served and, uh, as our military men and women, and you know what it's like to be deployed. And you know what it's like to, to have a nine-month tour or a 10-month tour, even longer than that, in, in a foreign land. You know what it's like to be at the, at the, at the train station and to kiss your wife or family members goodbye or a mother or a father. Some of you in this room have resettled to the Birmingham area because of work opportunities. But I tell you, whatever your example is, it pales in comparison to the example of Abram and Sarai. I remember when Danielle and I had our first stint of living in the Birmingham area. It was 2001, and I was a student at Beeson Divinity School. Danielle was teaching And I had one of the earliest times that I was coming to Beeson Divinity School there at Sanford. I was driving in. I got off the interstate, made my way on Lakeshore, headed to the school, and my vehicle broke down. And this was, I am so old, and this is such a long ago story. I did not have a cell phone. I had, I was was kind of a late adopter of cell phones. I thought to myself, why in the world would I need to have a cell phone with me? Well, I tell you, one reason you might need to have a cell phone is if you break down on Lakeshore. That's one of the reasons that you need a cell phone. Well, I didn't have a cell phone. So I got out of my vehicle, I, I put the, uh, the, the flashers on, and I had to cross Lakeshore and go in this residential community and begin to knock on the doors at 7.30 in the morning of people that lived in these houses, and many of which I maybe met you during that time right there. Many of you did not open your door to your pastor. Yeah, it's coming full circle now, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I took names. I remember. I remember. So I couldn't get people to open the door. Eventually, a sweet lady opened the door, and I convinced her that I was a divinity school student. I had actually broken down, and I, could I use her phone? And she uh, very nicely agreed. And then as I was getting the phone, I just realized I don't know who to call. I, I literally, in that moment, as we had just moved to school, Danielle was teaching, I, I did not have someone to call. I didn't know who to tow the vehicle, to call to get the vehicle towed. I didn't know where to get it towed to. I didn't have connections. So if that would have happened two months prior to me breaking down in Lakeshore, it happened in Clinton, Mississippi. I moved to Clinton, Mississippi when I was five years old. My family moved there, five years old. Went to school in Clinton, went to college in Clinton, got married in Clinton. And so if I would have broken down in Clinton, Mississippi, five people in five minutes would have driven by 
and kept on going probably. And they said, that's, that's David Eldridge right there. We're not going to stop. But I would have known them. I, I, was just, I knew that community. I mean, it wasn't a 2,000 uh, population. I mean, it was 28,000 people. But you live there that long, you know people. I know exactly where to get it towed to. Morris Imports, they had worked on our vehicles since I was a little kid. And, and so I knew those things. But here I was, broken down on Lakeshore, and that little, I mean, this is such a tried example. And you can think of those examples when you as an individual went off to school or to graduate school or to your first job, and you, and you left the comfort and convenience of family connections behind. Or, or very well may be that military deployment. It very well may be you as a couple when you, when you started your family in a new place. Now, whatever, and you might have more specific consequences than this little tried example that I'm giving you, but all of us could relate to some bit of what it means to leave behind country, kindred, and family. Now, you take that. This story that I've told you, you take your story and you multiply it exponentially by what Abram and Sarah are doing. They are taking a step of faith without a safety net. To go where? Well, God says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Now, it's very difficult to fill in the blanks here. Maybe they thought Haran was that land, and there was a confirmation that it wasn't. Maybe they didn't know it was Canaan, but somewhere in the midst of this, they realized this is where God was showing them that they needed to go, but they did not get that in this itinerary. You know, when you go on a trip, and you're paying to go on the trip, and you go with a bunch of people, you have an itinerary, and you know, on Monday, I'm going to be here. On Tuesday, I'm going to be here. On Wednesday, I'm going to be here. Of course, there are extenuating circumstances that can happen, but everything's planned out. That's why you pay to go on the trip. Well, this trip is a trip without an itinerary. This trip is a trip without a safety net. Now, most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, will say yes to God's call to go to the land that he will show us if we can get to that land, inspect the land, see the land, touch the land, get an appraisal of the land, and ensure the investment before we take that step of faith. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm calling you to walk by faith and not by sight. And notice the call not only given to Abram here, but notice the God calls, and Abram in verse 4 went. He was obedient to the call. You know that wonderful hymn of the faith, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I will go. He goes not with all of the destination uh, secure before himself, but rather he goes in faith. It reminds me of when Jesus is teaching his eager disciples how do we pray, and he comes to that horizontal portion of the Lord's Prayer, and he teaches his disciples to pray, give us this day our annual bread. Mm -mm. But it would be a lot more convenient, wouldn't it, choir? Give us today our monthly allotment of bread. Or, or No, but the, but the prayer is give us today our daily bread. Do you understand that oftentimes in God's call upon your life and my life, on God's call upon our church's life, that he gives us enough clarity to take the next step. He doesn't often illumine the entire path and show us with crystal clarity the destination, but the call is clear as we take the step he illumines the next step. Notice the call given to Abram. Notice also the promise made to Abram. There are three verses in Genesis chapter 12 that I, 
I will rarely say this as your pastor because it's just like pastoral hyperbole. When, you, when pastors say, this is the most important verse in all of the Bible, people need to say, well, well you know, that, that's sort of subjective there. These three verses right here are arguably some of the most important verses in all of the Bible to understand God's call upon Abraham, but not only Abraham, the calling of the Israelites, not only the Israelites, the entire Old Testament, and moving out of Egypt into the land, not only the Old Testament, but the coming of Jesus Christ, not only the coming of Jesus Christ, but the church, not only the church, but the great future, eschatologically at the very end times of where we're headed, are all embedded in these three verses and the promise that God makes to Abram. Here's a threefold promise. We're going to come back to it throughout our study this fall in this section of Scripture. The first promise is the promise of lineage. He says to Abram, whose wife we've already been introduced to, she's childless. Why is she childless? Because she's barren. Guess what? Abram, go outside and look up and try to count the stars. That's the number of descendants that are going to come from you. Now, the last thing on Sarah's mind, the last thing is a, is a, a, a bout of staying in a maternity ward. She, she has long since thought that that was not going to be a part of her life. And God says to Abram, go and pick up the sand and, and let the granules of the sand flow between your fingers. And so it will be the descendants that are more numerous to be able to even count. That is going to be what's coming because there's a promise of lineage. Again, I told you, Abram's got to walk by faith, not by sight. He says, not only do I promise you lineage, but I promise you land. Verse 5, they get to Canaan, and we see that they don't own that land. They're Canaanites that are in the land. But he, as a promise of faith, Abram goes to the north part, to the central part, and to the southern Canaan. And they do what? They build altars symbolizing that God is going to give them the land. The whole Old Testament is a story about God giving his people the land and them forfeiting that gift through disobedience. You cannot understand the Old Testament without firmly fixating on what God is doing with land and lineage. And finally, a third blessing is the promise of that blessing. Promise a blessing. Look again in Genesis chapter 12, in the first three verses, what is the refrain? What does God come back to again and again? What should you circle? What should you underline? What gives you the temptation to put an asterisk by it? Where is the repetition? We'll hear it again. I will make of you a great nation, and I will do what? I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a what? A blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Blessed. So how does this promise given to Abram have anything to do with us here today? Well, I want you to see not only is this a promise made to Abram, but this is a promise kept in Christ. Malachi is silent. The Old Testament ends under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the first gospel account, which is the gospel of Matthew, and the opening words of the gospel are how that promise given to Abram is kept in Christ. We read verse 1, chapter 1, Matthew's gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and what? The son of Abraham. That this initial step of obedience of Abram and Sarah 
are going to be the root of the family tree that our Savior and Lord comes from. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, goes one step further to be able to see how we are a part of this story when he's writing to them. And he says in Galatians chapter 3, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it was those of faith who were the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and notice what he quotes. What does he quote? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among uh, Abraham, the man of faith. So the promise of land, of lineage, of blessing to the Israelites, it wasn't an end unto itself, but rather it was a catalyst. It was intended to be a blessing to all the nations. Now, very few of you in this room, maybe with some exceptions here, have Jewish ancestry. Many of us are in this room here as, in the broadest terms we could say, as Gentiles. And we have been blessed by the story of Israel because why? Well, you remember that Vacation Bible School song? You remember that song? You remember the Sunday school song that you used to teach? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. You remember that? And then you would get going, right foot, nod your head. And I'm tempted, I'm tempted to make you stand up and do that. (laughs) You think I'm kidding here. The 940 crowd, they just stood up and they started dancing as soon as I started singing this right here. So don't think that I won't ask you to do this. Well, that song in its simplicity is right at the heart of what I am talking about here. That God is doing something through the blessing of the Israelites that extends to us as Christians and we Jewish, Gentile believers together are part of the family of God and that promise of land, that promise of lineage, and that promise of blessing we have in John's behind-the-scenes portrait as he pulls back the throne of what it's going to be like for us to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is what he describes in Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude You remember, Abram, when I told you this, there's a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where we're headed And the promise given in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, is going to be fulfilled in the church in the end times where there's a new land, the new heaven, and the new earth. And the lineage that is promised here is going to be fulfilled, not with just Jewish believers, but it's going to be fulfilled with Gentiles and Jew alike from every tribe, every language, praising him. Well, Abram, he didn't know all of that. But we have the whole story. And we see how one step of faith, followed by another step of faith, leads to us sitting in these pews as the redeemed of Jesus Christ. And my question to you isn't, can you connect all the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, I think that's helpful. But my question is, is will you, like Abram, 
And Sarai, will you follow God even when it costs your comfort? You see, you might be a college student here today. You might be in middle school, high school. You might be a single professional. You might be a young married couple here. You might be in the midst of raising your young children or empty nesters in this room or retirees in this room. Are you truly open? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Well, of course. The word of God guides us. Prayer guides us. We need a discerning community around us. You alone with your Bible saying, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. Yes, of course prayer is important. Yes, of course a community is important. But with that said, it is important for you to understand that God is always in the business of calling us to serve him beyond our earth. Beyond our comfort and beyond our convenience, he is still in the business of calling you and me to freshly Follow him in that stretching and amazing journey of faith. Do you know somebody? I'm, I'm sure you're not this somebody. But maybe at times you are. I know where I am at times where, where my default response can be no. Have you ever been there? Where things are just comfortable and things are convenient so somebody says to you, maybe your wife or uh, maybe your husband or, or maybe a friend says, hey, let's go to this new restaurant. No, no, no. Hey, let, let's go to this movie. No, no, no. Hey, let, let's, let's go watch a ball game. No. And you can get into this rut in life where your default response is no. Because why? You prize your comfort you, provide, you prize your convenience. You prize the familiar surroundings. I'm here to tell you that spiritually, you can be tempted into a default response of no. But God is here, maybe even this morning, calling you beyond your err. Just this morning, Blake, Jenkins, our college minister, said, look in your together and you see this green handout. And, and you flip through that handout that says of the ways that you could serve locally in the gospel-centered ministries in Birmingham. And some of you looked through that and you know what your default response was? No. I'm glad we're doing this. Yes. I'm glad somebody else is doing this. Yes, but for me and my house, no. And maybe even this morning, there's a still, small voice calling you to serve beyond your comfort and beyond your convenience. Maybe some of you, God has called to serve in this church, and you're praying, God, I will go wherever you lead to serve you in whatever way you want me to in this church, but I'm not going to work with that age group. I'm not going to work with that segment of the church. And, and maybe God is closing a lot of doors, and he's opening a door in an age group or a stage of life that, if you were to be honest, was a bit intimidating to you. It isn't your natural choice. And God is saying, will you go and you're tempted to say no because you're prizing your comfort 
and your convenience. Abram walks by faith and not by sight. What is the step of faith that God is calling you to or us to as a family of faith? Maybe it's volunteering and Kids Connection. Maybe it's working with Celebrate Recovery. Maybe it's uh, a short-term t- short mission trip. Maybe it's uh, gospel-centered conversations with a family member or a, a person who is a coworker. But whatever it is, he still calls us to follow him beyond our comfort, beyond our convenience, to follow him in this great adventure that we call faith. So this is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for our family of faith. God, give us the courage to follow you beyond what is comfortable and convenient. May we say with our hearts and our hands and our feet, wherever you lead, we'll go. Let us pray. In just the stillness of the sanctuary, I want to talk to you as a believer. What is Ur? What is that place of comfort and convenience that you need to say no to to be able to say yes to God? What parts of your life, maybe err is a habitual sin, maybe err is fear, maybe err is the prizing a financial security above all else. Maybe Ur is the familiarity of this place when God is opening up a new work opportunity. Maybe even God is calling you to live in a place that doesn't know Him as Lord and Savior. Would you say yes to that journey of faith? God, give us the faith to follow you, even when it costs us our comfort and our convenience. Most of us in this room will not naturally choose to cross that line. Give us the faith, encouragement, and courage to walk by faith and not by our sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.